Al Jazeera podcast. The G20 Leaders Summit kicks off on Saturday in the Indian capital of New Delhi. Most of these summits have a unifying theme. And this year, the world's largest economies are getting together under the banner of One Earth, One Family, One Future. But lately, it feels like that family can't be in the same room together. According to the Kremlin spokesperson, Vladimir Putin is not going to be attending the G20 summit. China has confirmed that President Xi Jinping will not attend the G20 summit. The G20 started out in 1999 with a focus on financial stability. It's evolved to discuss global health and climate change policy. But for the last few years, the headlines haven't been the brightest. These are from just last year. World leaders have voiced disappointment at the lack of progress made on climate policies at the G20. It's the body that should be leading COVID recovery, economic recovery, but it's also hopelessly divided between its internal membership. So, with the unifying message that's seeming to fray, what can we expect from this year's G20? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. To break down all the geopolitics behind this year's G20 and what's led up to it, we're talking to Al Jazeera's diplomatic editor, James Bayes. So, James, you're in New Delhi covering the G20 summit for Al Jazeera. Humidity aside, tell us what the atmosphere is like there. This is a city that I think is really geared up for this. The population are well aware of what's going on in their city. There are posters about the G20 everywhere. All of them seem to have uh, pictures of Prime Minister Modi next to them. There are security staff everywhere, even though the G20 leaders haven't arrived yet. I was driving around this morning. It's quite tricky. You have to show your pass a lot because there's very tight security. The city looks good. I haven't been to Delhi for some years, and clearly Delhi is a place that is constantly changing, but certainly a great deal of work to smartening up this city and making it look its very, very best. I think some you speak to are incredibly proud that this is happening, and that's certainly the way that the Modi government's trying to portray it. Um, This is, of course, a revolving thing. The host goes each year to a different one of the G20. We already know that it's going to go to Brazil next time. But of course, the message that's being sold to the population here is uh, is that Prime Minister Modi brought the G20 to India, and it's a great success for India. There's a more controversial side. All of these beautification projects that are taking place around Delhi have meant that you know there are lots of uh, buildings that have got to come down, been cleaned up, and that includes places where people were living. And there's lots of areas where there was temporary housing that have been destroyed because of this, and people who have been moved away from the place they lived. So you've covered the G20 for years. For listeners who may not follow these conferences closely, can you just tell us what is the purpose of a G20 summit and maybe how you expect this one to be different from others in the past? A G20 summit is basically originally an economic meeting of the most economically powerful countries in the world. 
the G20 started as a meeting of finance ministers at the turn of the millennium. It started in 1999. But then when we had the global financial crisis in 2008, they decided that they needed to get all the leaders together. And ever since 2008, all the G20 leaders have met every year at a summit. Now, it's also worth telling you the G20 represents about two-thirds of the world's population, about 85% of global GDP. Its basis is dealing with the world's economy, but how it's developed in recent years, when you've got these most powerful people all in the same room, they don't only want to talk about the economy. So it's, it's broadened in recent years to something that deals with politics as well. And that, I think, is its problem right now, because there is huge division uh, in the global community, in the international community. Okay, what are some of the key issues you'll be looking for at this year's G20? Well, there are the issues that will be on the formal agenda, and there are the issues that are the major global issues, and particularly the war in Ukraine, that will loom over this summit. Mm. Whether they'll actually get discussed isn't clear. Clearly, the, the major global issues are the state of the economy. Climate change is something the UN, the UN Secretary General, attends uh, these summits as well. He'll be pushing very, very hard. He believes that the G20 summit is almost as important as the COP summit that we've got coming up at the end of the year in Dubai on climate change. But also the whole issue of emerging economies, of developing countries and inequality particularly on debt forgiveness. That is something that India is pushing very hard. The UN is pushing very hard. And I think behind the scenes, some of the richer countries will be pushing back a fair bit. Yeah, I mean, this is a chance for the world to talk about issues that threaten everybody. James, let's talk about who is not there. Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping are skipping this summit, and they both have their own reasons. Can you tell us about that? Yes, well, certainly Vladimir Putin was never going to come to this summit, I don't think. And mainly, of course, because of the war in Ukraine. That it was the reason that we saw President Putin, who used to go every year to the G20, not go to the last one in Bali in Indonesia. And now he's decided not to come to this one in Delhi. Of course, remember, he's got that international arrest warrant out on him. The International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant against Vladimir Putin... But this time, President Xi of China and a Chinese leader has always gone to the G20 ever since it's been a leader's summit since 2008. Part of this, I think, is a division that we're seeing in the world, a division um, in the future, potentially, between the G7 on one side, led by the West. Those are Western countries, with the exception of Japan. Uh, and then on the other side, the BRICS. The group of emerging economies known as BRICS, which aims to challenge a world order, seems to be dominated by the U.S. and its Western allies. But of course, this creates problems for the countries that are in the middle, countries like Indonesia and the organizer of this summit, India. They've got to work out which way to jump. It's a bit of a tightrope for them. So there's two ways of looking at this, right? You have, you can say, China's not coming because of this emerging decoupling of the world itself, but there's also some very specific conflicts between India and China that may be causing Xi not to come. Can you just get into some of those specific beefs that they have? These are rivals. These are the two biggest in terms of population countries in the world. India is now bigger than China. 
but they've also got all sorts of other tensions that aren't economic and political. They are on different sides, I think, at the moment. India straddles this divide between East and West in terms of the political ideologies of the world uh, and the war in Ukraine, because India's receiving huge amounts of Russian oil and India's long-term had military support from Russia and Russian military hardware. There have been clashes as recently as December last year between Indian troops and Chinese troops. They have a border dispute. There are tensions between the two. And I think certainly the Indians are seeing this as a snub by the Chinese. Do the Chinese mean it as a snub? They are coming. Li Chung, who is the premier, who is the most powerful lieutenant of President Xi, he will be here. But the Indians still see this as a snub. Yeah, well, it's hard not to. It's hard not to. So it has been a big year for India. In April of this year, India overtook China as the most populous country on Earth, which is significant. It landed on the moon. Now it's hosting this G20 summit. Conversely, you know, China's economy is flagging. Russia is reeling from the war. Do you think we might look back on this year as the year India cemented that superpower status? That is what Prime Minister Modi wants. That is the role that India would like to play. India does not really want to be in the Western camp or the Chinese camp. It wants other people to be the Indian camp. It sees itself as a power on that level. Of course, right now, Prime Minister Modi is in a very powerful position uh, domestically. He is the strongest leader India has had for very many years, possibly I would say at any time in my professional life. But, you know, things change and there is an election in India next year. Most analysts say he's likely to come out on top, but, you know, nothing is certain as we approach an an election year in the early part of 2024. How India is capitalizing on that non-aligned position and how or if G20 countries can unify. That's after the break. When Truganini died, she was mistakenly declared the last Tasmanian Aboriginal. Though some say she sold out her people, in hindsight, Truganini's survival allowed future generations to learn about the near annihilation of the Aboriginal people of Tasmania. I'm Charles Dance. Listen as I trace the life of Truganini. Hindsight by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about the U.S. Because we shouldn't not talk about the most powerful country in the the G20. The Biden administration has put a lot of focus on its Asia-Pacific strategy. A historical trilateral summit with the U.S., Japan, and South Korea has ended with a security pact and the pledge to step up cooperation in other key areas. There was the Camp David meeting with South Korea and Japan really cementing that relationship, a new military alliance with the Australians and the British. And then there's been this deliberate strategy to cozy up to Modi. What are you hearing? Are are the Americans feeling good about where things stand at the moment? I don't think they're feeling good about the fact that the Chinese are not here. I think this is one of those rare opportunities at a G20, where the US leader and the Chinese leader, the two powerful men on earth, can meet, and it's not gonna happen. 
And I think there's disappointment about that opportunity being lost. Even these summits, if you don't get a formal meeting, you have what diplomats call a pull aside, where they just say a few words to each other. But it's a chance to build in trust, engagement, and then open the window for further diplomacy. We've seen a number of senior US officials going to Beijing, trying to open the door a bit. Uh, the US position is that the two countries will remain rivals and competitors, but they have to cooperate. And I'm not sure they're happy with the level of cooperation. There's no military hotline between the countries at this stage. And I think they'll be disappointed that President Xi is not here. Uh, President Biden is, as you say, engaged with Asia. And there's another big summit coming up in the US, the APEC summit, later in the year. And that's another possibility and chance for a meeting between President Biden and President Xi. But the Chinese are being very coy. They're not saying whether Xi will be going to that one either. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if the US is a victim of its own success. I mean, there's been this deliberate strategy of trying to isolate China, and now they're not showing up to the G20, and that's being seen as a problem, not a victory. I think it's it, it's been very, very difficult for this administration and previous administrations to calibrate this. How do you engage China when it is a rival, potentially a military rival, but at the same time, unlike Russia, China is so essential to the economy of every country on Earth. You, you can't just not do business with China because China is such an important part of the global economy. And I, you see the real differences of opinion among the US's allies on how to deal with China. Well, you mentioned that the G20 started off as an economic conference. So yes, you're right. If the second largest economy in the world isn't there, you're not going to get that much accomplished. And then you have this other summit, the BRICS summit that happened two weeks ago with groups of countries largely from the global south. And BRICS is now pushing to expand. Five new member countries have been added to the current bloc. Egypt, Ethiopia, Argentina, the UAE, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. They join current members Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Is this a sign that the G20 summit is losing its relevance? I think there will be worries about that. I think that diplomats from a number of countries um, believe these summits are very useful because they are a way to get people on the same page, to keep diplomacy going. They think it is a very good forum. But as you say, there is a BRICS that is rising and contemplating many new members who want to join. And a G20, yes, the Chinese and Russians are here, but their leaders are not here. Mm. Is this the beginning of what Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, has raised the prospect of the world dividing into two rival camps with rival currencies, with rival internets, with rival economic systems? And he's been serious about this and has been talking about it for a couple of years now. And I think that will be the worry among some that the world is dividing even more. The official slogan, the tagline for this G20 is one earth, one family, one future. Well, it's one family that's got serious divisions right now. Yeah, one family that can't be in the same room together. I know those kind of families. So, okay, big picture then. If you have China and Russia on one side and you have U.S. and the EU on the other, it does seem like the one right in the middle is India. 
And it couldn't be a more appropriate country for the moment to be hosting this summit, right? I think that's true. I think there are other countries that are, are straddling that middle ground. I think Turkey is one. I think Indonesia is another. And India now, the host of this summit, sitting in that middle ground. Most diplomats I spoke to feel that last year's summit in Bali was handled very adeptly by the Indonesians. Mm. They even managed to get a final communique where the countries agreed to disagree on Ukraine, but they still got the final document out. This is going to be really interesting to see how India manages to navigate this same problem because already the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said there won't be a final communique if it mentions Ukraine. Uh, I think it's probably just a consequence of the fact the war's gone on another year and it's even harder. But there is a problem, I think, in terms of how this summit is perceived if they can't even write a final document because that's something that happens every single time until now. James, maybe I could ask you this too, because just we have you here and and it's such a delight to have someone with as much experience as you do covering these year after year after year. And we all get bogged down and we can kind of get excited about the moments and we can tend to catastrophize things as well. I wonder how the leaders that you talk to and the people in all of these camps, how are they feeling generally about the state of the world? Oh, I think I, mean, I was speaking to a senior diplomat just the other day from one of these countries, and they they were sort of, you know, really, really unhappy about where we stand in the world. Whether you look yeah. at the climate, whether you look at the world's economy, whether you look at conflict. I mean, we we talk about the war in Ukraine all the time because it's such a big thing, uh, involving a member of the UN Security Council that has nuclear weapons up against another country that's backed by the whole of NATO. There is still a risk of this conflict getting worse. There is still a nuclear component to this. And then when we're talking all about that, we're not talking about all the other places in the world. There's nowhere really getting better. It's a pretty grim picture with so many challenges facing these leaders. It's a time, I think, of turmoil and just look back at G20s and G7s, and it used to be called the G8 because even Russia got along with the G7 just a few years ago. Things looked much rosier then. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Khalid Sultan and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, with Amy Walters, Miranda Lynn, Faranisa Kampana, Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Badr, and Sonia Bagat. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.